Thank you for listening to the Bird Nerd Book Club. I'm your host, Hannah, and today I'm excited to welcome Jordan Spaulding, author of his recently published Black-Throated Blue Warbler that was self-published using Ingram Spark. Jordan, welcome to the show. Would you please tell us about yourself? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm a new author, almost nearly lifelong birder, yeah, and, and first-time podcast guest. Well, very cool. I'm so glad that I could be your first podcast because I know there's going to be many more. Oh, yeah, I, I hope. Yeah, we'll see. Well, th that also means that this is going to be my worst performance ever, right? <laughs> you <laughs> can cut that all. out if you want. I don't know. <laughs> so your book, Black-Throated Blue Warbler, I was so excited to find um, just, you know, right before it was published. It's such a fascinating read. But first, would you maybe tell us a little bit about your book? Yeah, so it's tiny. It's a novella. It follows the story of a warbler through her spring season out in the forest in her natural habitat. And it's loosely based off true events. And it's based off my uh, experiences out in the habitat where that bird lives. Yeah, it just felt like a story that, that needed to be told that jumped off the page that I was so excited to explore. It's like outside of my usual genre that I read or write but I was just like enamored by the ideas and the things that I learned out there. And so I wanted to tell that story. And I have actually some of my favorite books from my childhood have been sort of animal and nature fiction. And so I was excited to explore that side of it and do something kind of outside of my comfort zone. And that's where this book came from. So what's, what inspired you to use a black-throated blue warbler female for this as the main character? Yeah, so this is, this sort of came from my time in Hubbard Brook. So my partner, who's an ornithologist and does field work, which maybe your viewers are familiar with, um, she was training a bunch of Cornell students out in the Hubbard Brook Experimental Research Forest, which is in the White Mountain National Forest of New Hampshire. And she was out there for three months for the full season, and they were banding black-throated blues and monitoring them and determining how often the males and females brought food back to the nestlings and, and everything. They, they know everything about these birds out there. And at the end of her season, um, I got to come out for about a week and hang out with her before I picked her up and we road-tripped back. And I got to experience the forest and experience the birds, and I got to join her while she was banding them, and it just seemed like some of the details that I learned out there and some of the stories that I learned were specific to a particular female black-throated blue warbler, Yappy, which is named for her, her bands, um, which is the yellow, aluminum, pink, yellow bands, and in, the, in that order on both of her legs. And so I just wanted to center the story around her. And because it's built around the spring season, there's nesting and nestlings, and that just felt like a more interesting story to tell from the female perspective rather than the males. So your characters have a lot of personality. The birds that she's flying with in migration, you know, you, you gave, I, they had voices in my head. Like I could hear, I could hear them talking <laughs> and get, you know, you gave them distinct personalities. So when you're out birding, do you like, you know, hi, do you think about the conversations these birds are having as you're out birding? Well, that, that's interesting that you bring that up. I think 
there's this idea. I used to commute in to work uh, in Denver often. Um, and now I mostly work from home, aside from some seasonal variation. And uh, when I would commute in riding public transit, there would be like, you know, a pigeon on the bus with me. And it's easy to look at like a flock of pigeons or a flock of birds and, and kind of see them as like a single unit. Like here are birds going about their day. But there's this idea, this term that's kind of trendy right now called sonder, which is like the sudden epiphany, the realization that all the people around you have entire vibrant internal lives, internal monologues, and like hopes and goals and dreams and things that they're working towards. And, and, and when I'm sitting on the bus and there's that pigeon sitting there and like, what are you doing on here? I, I have that same realization that I'm like, this bird is not just like one like stamped out, duplicated version of a million other pigeons that I see. Like this bird has an entire sort of internal life and like goals and hopes and, and fears. And it has like a reason that it boarded the bus today. And it may not know why, but it's here. And, and so I guess I, sometimes I get the epiphany when I'm out birding just the fact that like, it's hard to look at 2,000 geese out on a, on a lake or, or 10,000 gulls in the air and to think that like, each one of them has its own individuality and its own life that it's living. And I wanted to sort of capture some idea of that. Yeah, I really love that. It kind of makes me think of... Um... Oh, shoot. There was a movie that I remember watching where somebody put on like uh, headphones or whatever it was where they could hear animals. And then the animals were all chatting and everything. And it drove the person crazy because they could hear them all. Kind of like uh, what women want, I guess, in the animal version. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which I I love that because, you know, you see all these birds and you see all these animals and you know, I, I really never think like, what are they thinking? And I, I love that this story gave me a reason to think about like, well, what is the motivation of why it ran from point A to point B or why it chased that bird away? Like it, it really does humanize the, the birds more toward, for me at least. Yeah. I, I think as well, I, I needed, like you'll notice in the structure of the book, there's sort of a lot of dialogue in the beginning and other individuals, and then it sort of very much zeroes in to the internal life experience of the single black-throated blue and her mate. And I really wanted to, I needed to externalize and dramatize that initial idea, the mystery of the bands and, and sort of like the horrors of being different when you're in like a intense survival situation day to day and a short life and like the, the mix of like the blessing and the curse of like having bands on your ankles and so those other birds which which were researched not only do they nest in the same spot but they also winter in the same places that the majority of the black-throated blues winter so it's it's conceivable that those were the birds that she was communicating with in that flock yeah i needed them as like a vehicle to sort of drive this idea for the black-throated blue and introduce sort of the mystery of the story and one of the things that I really love about this book is the collaboration between literature and research-based science, because you do have so much science that just like, you know, fills the fills the gap in between different segments of her life, which is fantastic because you, you know, somebody coming into this that doesn't know anything about birds, like they're going to learn about birds. They're going to learn about black-throated blues and oven birds and all this stuff, which is just, is really cool. So what resources did you use um, to to get this factual information about the species? Yeah, let me preface this by saying um, I opened the beginning of the book 
by clarifying that not everything in it is scientifically accurate. Um, so just readers beware. But wherever I could get away with it, it was scientifically rigorous and accurate. And as, as I said before, my partner, who is an accomplished ornithologist who does multiple field seasons and teaches and things like that, was my first resource for double checking my information. And sometimes I would write something really interesting and she would be like, that's not how that works. You need to change that. And like, ah, oh, gosh, okay. Um, but we also have a subscription to Birds of the World, which is a great research platform. It's connected with, or it has subsumed Macaulay Library. And so it has a ton of not only like factual data, but also like cutting edge research and like stuff that they're just learning about. And actually, a lot of the stuff I read about for black-throated blue warblers cited the Hubbardbrook re Experimental Research Forest as like the source of that information. So that just shows this like the cyclical, like they're doing the research and then I'm referencing the research that they're doing. Like they're making a big difference out there. So yeah, everything from like how many days it takes to fledge to like clutch size to, to diet preference to like territory size. The female song, which I included, which I thought was like an interesting tidbit, like all of that, I was able to, to double check. And, and in some cases, I was just scrolling through the page or pages of black-throated blue warbler information, of blue jay information, of like information about Hubbard Brook, and I was inspired to new plot elements. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know they did that. I, I wonder if this works for the stories in some way. So, oh, and I, I, I got to mention also uh, Sibley, of course. We have Eastern Sib, the little Sib, so, for, as a quick reference that was like sitting next to my computer. Okay, so you used a lot of different resources in your work that you did. That's, that's great. Birds of the World is a fantastic uh, tool to use. I know I use that a lot for my Women Birders Happy Hour podcast. There's so much great information in there. It's so, such great, yeah, it's such great, like, tidbits and, like, and like trivia almost, where you're like, I didn't know I needed to know that, but now I know the Tarsus length average or whatever, right? Well, and some of the birds have such in-depth biographies in there, too. Like, I mean, some of these species, like, we've been, you know, in a tight relationship with them for so long that there's just mounds of information and then some species you go to like mostly like tropical species there's a lack of information which just shows you that's where you got to go if you want to be a researcher and like make a name for yourself <laughs> go research some of those random south american birds well there's also a, a, a reason that they're not super well researched as like the the researchers are tromping out into the bush and suffering malaria and they're like I don't know. Is that what we think we saw? I don't know. Let's go home. <laughs> um, so your birds in your, your book have uh, such great personalities and also that great, you know, background information about them. How do you want us to relate to the birds and in the book? One of the parts, one of the middle parts of the book that some of my uh, ARC readers complained about was the, the in-depth kind of ponderous explanations of nature around them of like the effed salamander that makes multiple cameos of like long descriptions of like the flow of water through the natural environment and like the bigger picture like cycling of nature and of resources in nature and I wanted that was like a thing I experienced when I was out in Hubbard Brook like that's a place that has been maintained as like a wild area for 40 years. And even though there's hundreds of scientists 
scattered throughout that place that are measuring everything from leaf size and soil acidity and everything it's still when you move into that place like i expected there to be trails like dirt paths like i'd seen pictures that my partner was sending me and then i was headed out there to like join her but no like like the leaf litter that you're marching through rises up to your calf and the hobble bush that is everywhere is like above eye level but it's also at eye level and chest level and waist level and ankle level it's like it's so human unfriendly it feels like a very wild place where i don't belong and it feels like such a self-contained ecosystem that's like separate from us there's no sort of you you look around and you don't see anything that's like recovering from human infrastructure or that's been replanted or that's being managed it feels like very very wild and i wanted to capture that idea and that feeling and i want people to experience that that like the life of the black-throated blue warbler is not contained to that 9 grams of warbler it's expanded to that entire environment that like informs her and shapes her and like her high sight fidelity and the predators and the food sources i want people to like have the experience that i had for the one week that i was there or for the 3 months that my partner was there because like that's the experience that like the black-throated blue warbler gets every day and it and it blew me away and that was like part of what why I was like this needs to be this is a story that has to be told I don't know how but I need to like explore this because this place is is amazing it's unlike anything I've ever experienced that's very cool and yeah i mean that's all super important to like share the habitat that that bird is in and explores and you know you get it on a micro level like what the bird is seeing it from so you see it from our our big human macro level and then from the minutia of what she actually is experiencing on a day-to-day basis as she's exploring her environment trying to raise her chicks and everything i think that's incredibly important and uh in a fun way to to talk about it too from her perspective Yeah, totally. Yeah, I really enjoyed that and I think I don't know, I may have leaned too much into the anthropomorphization at some points. Um but I really wanted to capture that idea of like bird logic. Me and my partner talk about sometimes birds do things and like we have no idea why, but it's like very consistent behavior, but we're like, "Why have you made this decision? Why do you consistently do that?" And we get to see that ourselves with our parrots that live with us who often act in like inconceivable ways around this and and so I wanted to like capture and explain and like explore that that bird logic and like the nature of that world but to some degree to like garner empathy with readers you need to do a little bit of anthropomorphization <laughs> you need to sort of explain in human terms why they're doing what they're doing so yeah so what do you want your readers to take away from this book there's two books i read long ago that are kind of like in the genre one is raptor red and it follows like the life of a Utah raptor from from birth to death um and it is like absolutely not scientifically accurate um <laughs> but but it's but it's a tearjerker it's an amazing book i love it um and there's another book Jonathan Livingston Seagull have you ever heard of that book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's another which, which is like basically like a seagull achieving nirvana and ascending to like the next plane of existence and it's like bonkers but also like a very beautiful book and those Both of those books leave you with like such a changed perception of your reality and of reality like you can't like those are both short books like Raptor Red is like 300 pages and Livingston Seagull is like 150 pages and it's like at least a quarter blurry black and white photos of seagulls flying in the air 
but like both of those books, like when you put them down, it, it changes how you think about reality and nature and, and life and death. And, and I, I feel like if I can achieve like 1% of that experience, <laughs> then it was like worth it to write this. Like I want people to, to, to shift their perspective and to think about, like the thing about a black-throated blue warbler is like the majority of the public never meets a black-throated blue warbler. They don't gum, come into human areas, they, which is explored a little bit in the book as well. They, yeah, they're out in the middle of the woods and you really have to tromp through ankle-deep leaf litter to go find them properly. And so I, I, wanted, to, I wanted people to be like, like, one, here's a bird I've never heard of, and two, like, here's an entire world that it's exploring and living in and the consequences and the drama and the thrill of like that life, of like that slice of life. So yeah, I wanted, I wanted people to, to, to capture that, to like realize that. Yeah. And I think it really does speak to birders, non-birders, you know, every, every kind of reader can get something from your book. Um, I really enjoyed the, you know, the fiction with the the bird itself and what it's thinking and its motivations, as well as the scientific research that went behind it, which was just a lovely surprise to find all of that um, in the book itself. So I definitely recommend, I mean, it's a quick read, but I would definitely go back and read it again, because I think there's a ton in there that I missed. And I'm really curious about what happened in the the non-breeding season what happens when she goes back down to (laughs) to central america i want to know more about that too so you're gonna have to have a part two but what other projects do you have on the horizon so this is so funny because because like as i mentioned before this is like totally outside of my normal comfort zone i i read sci-fi i write (laughs) sci-fi so my current my next project is i'm writing a sci-fi novel it's a 100,000-word manuscript right now that's in the process of being edited. And, like, Black-Throated Blue Warbler was sort of my adventures in self-publishing, um, learning that whole process, figuring out, you know, the ARC readers and Ingram Spark and, and fighting with Amazon for pre-orders and, and everything. Um, and this book, which is a, a deep future space opera hard sci-fi, um, I am trying to take through the traditional publishing route. Uh, and so... It's going to professional editors in March, and then hopefully in April I'll start querying it. And I have many other sci-fi concepts which I'll keep writing. I think, like to your point about a sequel, I'll definitely explore this again. I really enjoyed the process. It was way more of sort of like a, a pantser process, you know, in writing there's like planners and pantsers, and like sci-fi necessarily needs to be like more planned out to know what's happening in the intricate details, but this one was very much sort of like a journey of, of discovery and finding details as I went. And, and you know, believe it or not, this, this book is like not even 20,000 words, but it t- took like four times as long to write as my much longer manuscript. And that was because I was like discovering things as I went. So I, I think in the future, I will definitely do another one and probably self-publish. I don't know if it'll be a sequel, or if there's, there's so many other bird stories to tell, you know, maybe it'll be some other, maybe it'll be like the story of like a duck or You could even just do one for every warbler species and then just have like a flock of all the birds, you know, like a collection. <laughs> get you that, know, That's a you, great, that would take my lifetime, but yes. <laughs> you know, get some other like, uh, like beginning writers to like take it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Be, I'll be yeah. a regular uh, James Patterson, you know, but for birds. There you go. 
<laughs> I would love to do a story about um, Wilson's Warbler. I think they're my favorite Warbler. Like, in the hand, they're so casual and, and comfortable. Uh, I've gotten to extract them from mist nets in, in the course of banding before. And they're just, they just like sit there. Even if you open your hand, sometimes they're just like, they just sit there and they're like, whatever you need to do, just, you know, take care of it. I'm here for you, man. They're so sweet. Uh, they're, yeah. There are um, main warblers that we get here on the, in the Pacific Northwest, or at least that I see in my backyard. So, yeah, they have a special place in my heart, too. So, uh, what else did we not mention that you want readers and everyone listening to know about you and your book? This kind of goes back to this, the scientific accuracy part. Like, everything that happens in this story, like, everything, every real event, not, like, necessarily the birds talking with each other, but everything physically that happens is something that happens in a black-throated blue warbler's life. Maybe not necessarily one black-throated blue warbler's life over one season, but it's all based in, like, real events that I learned about or researched or experienced firsthand. The blue jays uh, predating... The, the nestlings, the, some of the black-throated blues ending up on Martha's Vineyard for their wintering grounds for some reason. Yeah, the, 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 the clutches, the sight fidelity, like all of, those, all of those things came about and then were incorporated into the story. And there were some things I wasn't able to incorporate that I found fascinating and worked at but was not able to fit in, like... Um, so like birds are promiscuous <laughs> overall. And so like extra pair copulations as, it call, as it's called is very common in black-throated blue warblers. And I had this whole sub arc planned to talk about that, but I didn't want to like fight with like the empathy of readers to be like, this is going on, but also it's fine. And I didn't want to like explain it away. I'm already like making excuses for their like age difference <laughs> between like the male and the female and I'm like this is super fascinating and like very accurate and definitely like part of their lives but like that and like other minor details I had an entire chapter talking about the bizarre nature of like house sparrows and like other birds interaction with house sparrows and my partner was like I love this it has nothing to do with the story save it for like another book down the line so yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's meandering or if that fits anywhere, um, but just just the idea that like everything in there came from some interesting property, something that happens to black-throated blue warblers, and there's like much more to explore in their lives. But the things that made it in there were like the aspects of their real lives that fit this idea, the theme, and the story that I was trying to tell. Okay, yeah, so representative of like what happens in yeah a variety of black-throated blue warbler lives. I would be all about a house sparrow addition because here where I'm at, we have a bush that's full of house sparrows all summer long. I sit out next to this bush and they're squabbling and like flying here, flying there, coming back and everything. I would love, yeah, that. <laughs> I think, yeah. I mean, like we, weaver finches themselves as such a, like an alien nature. In some ways they're easier to anthropomorphize because they have so many sort of like parallels to human expansionism <laughs> and you know they're, they're like a homogenous like monoculture that's like spread to the four corners of the earth and there's they're they're like different than normal birds so they're yeah there's like something interesting to explore there 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And, you know, congratulations on this book and I look forward to seeing more from you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for this. This was a lot of fun. So thank you so much for tuning into the Bird Nerd Book Club, and I appreciate you listening. So if you'd like to check me out on the socials, you can follow me at Hannah Goes Birding on Instagram. My Twitter is at WomenBirdersHH, or you can email me at Hannah and Eric Go Birding at gmail.com. <laughs>